I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to a special episode of the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Instech. Today's guests are Instech CEO Matthew Grant and research analyst Henry Gale. Regular listeners will know that the Instech team are my go-to experts from the world of insurtech. I rely on them to keep me informed and connected with the most important developments in that burgeoning field. Matthew Grant has spent over 30 years at the intersection of technology and insurance. Since he co-founded the Instech Events and Intelligence Platform five years ago, it has grown into an extremely active global community of around 25,000 industry professionals, which has worked with over 200 companies. As this unique community has grown, so has its manpower and the sophistication of its output. Instech's regular research reports are essential reading for incumbent insurance folk, tech investors and entrepreneurs. And it is the latest Instech report that we are focusing on today. No one will have managed to ignore the parametric insurance phenomenon as it has exploded into our consciousness, particularly over the past couple of years, as eye-catching launches and multi-million dollar fundraisings have made the headlines. With such an explosion of new ideas and potential partners, the subject is a potential minefield. Who to partner with, which avenues to pursue, and which to avoid. Thankfully, Instech has produced a comprehensive and highly practical report on the subject. Matthew has been personally involved with parametrics for over 25 years, and Instech has been closely engaged with all of the most interesting players in the space since it was founded. One of the aims of Instech is to connect incumbents, investors and entrepreneurs around workable ideas that have the best chance of succeeding in the real world. And this makes for a very focused podcast. And, important for me, Matthew and report author Henry may be supremely well-connected and clued up, but they have their feet on the ground and explain their ideas with great enthusiasm, but expressed in plain English in an easygoing manner. This means you don't need to have any specialist knowledge or interest to learn an awful lot from this conversation. The first voice that you'll hear, other than mine, is Matthew's. Enjoy the podcast. Henry and Matthew, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here and be on the other side of the microphone for a change. Absolutely. Nice to have a podcaster interviewing a podcast is always good. Instech, just before we get going, tell us all about Instech for any of the listeners who may not know. Yeah, I mean, the simplest way to think about us is we're helping insurance companies understand the potential business partners they want to work with and themes around innovation that are actually working as opposed to things that are sort of so far out in the future that are still theoretical. And then the other side, we're working with technology companies to help them both create content and get their stories out into the world. And we've built that through a network around the world. We've got about 25,000 people we think engage with us. And we've been growing consistently since we founded about five years ago, Robert Mertens and I. And on that subject, obviously, you've done a report and now you've really branched out in some really detailed reports, which is fantastic and certainly shows your development. You've done a report about parametric insurance. Why don't you sort of present some of your bona fides of how well you know parametric? Obviously, I think over the last five years, you've been working with a lot of these companies for a very long time. A lot of them have engaged already through Instech. Yeah, and I'll kick it off. Historically, I was 25 years in catastrophe modeling and was really there at the beginning of the cap bond insurance and securities market, of which about 15% were parametrics. So I saw that in the early days, albeit a slightly different scale from what we're seeing now. And then Henry joined us a year and a half ago as we built out the team. And we were already talking to a number of companies. And of course, as you know, a number of the new ideas are looking at new ways of structuring insurance. And we count parametric as one of our strongest areas 
where we've got engagement with companies. And Henry, you might want to mention the newsletter and some of the discussions you're having with companies in that space, I guess on both sides, both the insurance companies and the technology companies. Yeah, well, about a year and a half ago, we launched our parametric post newsletter and it started as sort of a way to put out the parametric insurance news as we knew there were a lot of companies and a lot of new products being announced in this space. And so every two weeks, this email newsletter goes out. We've got more than a thousand people from across the insurance industry and the startup world who are following that parametric insurance news. And so we've grown quite a community of people who are really interested in the innovation that's happening in parametric insurance and following some of the twists and turns and the, and the more interesting applications that are starting to emerge. And I'm sure we'll be talking in this podcast about a lot of those interesting companies that we've been working with. Well, it's a huge number because the full name of the report you're putting out is Parametric Insurance in 2022, 150 plus companies to watch. That's a lot of companies. Before we get going proper, we should define a bit what we mean by parametric for anyone who doesn't know or can't remember. Yeah, so parametric insurance works on quite a different basis to traditional indemnity-based insurance, if you like. So with traditional insurance, the policyholder has to make a claim in the event of a loss and then the insurance company decides whether and how much to pay of that claim. But with parametric insurance, the policy itself is a pre-agreed contract for what event will cause what claim payment, and the claim payment itself is agreed in the contract. So the contract might say that if a Category 4 hurricane passes over this location, uh, that's likely to inflict a loss on the policyholder, and the policyholder receives however many hundreds of thousands or however many millions. So that's what a parametric insurance contract is about. It's about a set of triggers that are independently verified that cause a claims payment rather than having a traditional claims process. So if the parameter happens, then you get paid and how much it's all pre-agreed. I've been very lucky enough to have a sneak preview of this fantastic report. In the report, you say that in the past, whereas parametric cover was complementing commercial indemnity insurance, it's often now replacing that cover. So how far do you think parametric insurance might go and, and make inroads into traditional commercial insurance business volumes? For at the moment, and your report says you're estimating about 500 million to a billion gross written premium per annum at the moment in parametric. Yes, and that's what we've estimated for 2021. It seems to be growing quite fast. So 2022, it may be well over that. Let's see. But we think that traditionally, yes, it's lots been about complementing traditional insurance cover. So it could be using a parametric policy to fill a deductible in an insurance policy. Or it could be to go above and beyond the limit that's been offered. But what we found with parametric insurance is generally it's taken off where traditional insurers might be withdrawing. Capacity is drying up. So where the insurance product either isn't available, it's too expensive, or it's full of exclusions and deductibles. And the key example of this has been in property catastrophe insurance, particularly for corporates. And so Descartes Underwriting is one of the biggest players in this space, and they've managed to scale their business by offering parametric catastrophe and other weather events related insurance to large corporates and public sector clients who have found that, especially for things like hurricanes and earthquakes in the US, that's a really hard market. Prices are getting higher and some insurers are withdrawing altogether. It can be a better option to get a parametric cover where you get more certain about what's covered and you might be able to get it at a better deal. Where are we seeing parametric being taken up? You're mentioning property cat zones, so I presume hot property cat zones like Florida, for example. Can you run us through the sort of variation by geography that we're seeing at the moment and go through any explanations for behind those variations? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's because parametric has so far taken off most in the catastrophe area that you see hurricanes and earthquakes in the US as being a real hotspot for parametric covers. And in 2017, around that time when there were lots of hurricanes in that area, that has sort of had some successful claims payments. And that's what persuaded a lot of new clients and brokers to get involved in taking up parametric insurance specifically for those larger corporate clients. But there are parametric insurance markets in other parts of the world. It sort of depends upon what the perils are and what the exposures are. So in Europe, there's a parametric insurance market focused around energy clients or agriculture clients who might suffer business interruption losses due to lack of or extreme rainfall or temperature changes. And those are other types of parametric covers. But we also see quite a big market in areas like Latin America, which are highly exposed to various perils. We work with a company called Super, which provides parametric earthquake cover in Mexico. So it just depends what the peril is in that specific location. I was reading this week about one Pacific Island insurer that is starting a cyclone parametric product. So there's going to be little niches in different parts of the world, and it sort of depends on what the exposures are and what the perils are. But because catastrophes has been such an application for parametric so far, that's why the the US has been something of a hotspot. Now, you're mentioning that I would always associate parametric covers with natural perils. So is there any other growth in non-natural or less traditional perils, you know, rather than sort of earth, wind and fire? One of the things that's happening is, as we all know, insurers are getting cautious about getting more exposure to natural catastrophes and extreme events. And so we're starting to see quite creative use of the parametric. So, for example, Complex with Chaucer released a cyber cover a couple of years ago. And we're looking at one of the more intriguing ones, which hasn't had as much impact as I would have expected it to, but is non-damaged business interruption. So post-COVID, where people were suffering losses, we've expected to see a little bit more interest, but organizations like MasterCard are releasing their transaction data. And of course, it's anonymized, so you don't know who it is, but you can actually get some quite high resolution data on what the transactions have been by location. And so you can see a sort of natural linkage from that between a retailer or a hotel where they're seeing a reduction in spend. And it's a very sort of natural and I think efficient use of parametric to link a reduction in revenue to a payout. So I think some of the most interesting stories, and I think where we're going to see more development is around niche, but actually quite significant use of parametric outside of you know, the, the more traditional areas that Henry referred to. I saw that in the report, Matthew, that was interesting. A business with the amount of data that MasterCard's got, where you know half the people in the world are getting all their spend. And this is really pinpointing saying that this shopping mall in this location is now 50% down on spend as opposed to this time last year because of something may have happened, a big flood or a big hurricane to come through or something. It was absolutely fascinating. What do you think the biggest advantages of this parametric format versus indemnity insurance, Matthew? Again, Henry touched on this, but where we're seeing the most effective use of parametric is to provide cover that wasn't previously available by insurance as opposed to coming in and replacing insurance you know there's some random margins where people are using parametric so for example lvmh felt that their losses back in 2011 in japan weren't paid out well by traditional insurance and actually now preferred a parametric cover but traditionally one example that brings this to life is car dealerships in the US trying to get cover for hailstorm. Now, you can imagine as an insurer, that's quite a high risk. What's now happening with AXA Climate, working with an organization called Helios that provides sensors about the size of your laptop computer, working with CoreLogic, 
they've actually produced this very effective product, insurance product that pays out on damage. And the hailstorms, you know, the big hailstorms get in the US, about the size of a golf ball to actually damage a car seriously. So that's a very sort of elegant solution of a parametric cover because it's quite hard to get traditional insurance. But because the data is very clean, meaning that you kind of know when those hailstorms have landed, you know when it's been damaged, there's high correlation between where the dealerships are and where the hailstorms are. Those are working very effectively. Another one that I'm talking to recently is Demex and snow removal. So similar kind of area, they're looking at payouts to help people with removal of snow or snow damage based on weather events. But generally, we see more growth in parametric. And we all know there's a massive protection gap out there for insurance as complementary to and sort of wraparounds for traditional insurance as opposed to replacing it. And in those core advantages, is it just cheaper to do it this way? Because it's, well, for one, it must be quicker to pay the claim because it simply is the parameter, has the parameter been fulfilled, or to what degree has it gone up a sliding scale, in which case I can pay straight away. And I presume you don't need to spend money on sending out loss adjusters, probably to places that are quite hard to get to usually after catastrophe. I'll let Henry talk a bit about the downsides. I get the upsides to talk about. So yeah, definitely much faster in terms of payment, because this is not an indemnity-based payment. It's based upon an index. Now, the critical bit is getting the index right. And we've seen historically in catastrophe bonds where people were looking at creating hurricane gates, and those weren't defined very rigorously. And so there was a big mismatch or basis risk in the payout versus what the actual loss was, because the gates weren't well defined. We've seen that with flood losses for crops in Malawi. But when these are well designed and the index is reliable, then there can be a very effective payout. But I mean, also there kind of comes a bit of a caveat that I'll pass on to Henry that whilst people are designing these parametric indices, there does need to be the ability for a human intervention to check that the trigger has worked properly, that the payout is as it should be and not go down the kind of fully automated blockchain route where things are getting paid out that really weren't intended in the original structure. And so basis is really that mismatch between what has happened on the ground and what your parameter, what your sort of measuring gauge says, or your index or whatever you're using. You might have a physical loss, but the parameter wasn't fulfilled. It says, sorry, you shouldn't be having a loss. Or can happen the other way around where you don't have a loss, but you get a payout because the gauge number's gone over, but your roof is still on. So it can happen both ways. Let's talk about those pitfalls. And obviously, basis risk is one of those ones. Henry, what else? Yeah, I think apart from a basis risk and insurers are getting a bit more advanced now in how they design these structures and there's more data available, which is helping to overcome some of those issues. Some of the things that are still quite tricky is that parametric insurance is still quite a new concept. So it's not well understood by the end customer in most cases. It's not always well understood by brokers, depending on if you're talking about retail brokers for small and medium businesses. Matthew mentioned LVMH. Some of the largest corporate clients are getting a bit more familiar with parametric now for some of the more traditional parametric perils, but there's still a way to go in sort of educating customers. And that also makes the whole process of selling a parametric product more expensive as well, because you have to go through that process of education. So it's not widely understood yet. But of course, it's also worth mentioning that these parametric products aren't comprehensive. So Whereas you might get a property insurance policy that would cover your property against all sorts of different losses. If you've got something that covers against hurricane, it's not going to cover against wildfire or theft or anything else. So the challenge with these single peril policies is making sure that it's structured correctly, that you don't leave any exposures. It was really interesting about the cost. You save a lot on the operational side, but obviously you have to spend more distribution because you have to explain it. Does that explain why we haven't really seen parametric covers pushing into personal lines, where obviously you've got to do a lot of explaining and there's a lot of looking after the customer, and that we're really looking at 
sophisticated buyers, you know, like large multinationals like LVMH, you know, is it going to get the penetration in commercial because we've got large, sophisticated customers who can really understand and see the benefit of what they're doing here? Yeah, I think that does go a long way to explaining why the personal lines parametric insurance has been slower. It's very expensive to reach those customers when you need to persuade them they need a product that they haven't even heard of. But there are some ways in which I think some of the personal lines parametric products that are being released now are looking for the right distribution channel that might not be as simple as selling a standalone product. So, for example, and this is a small and medium business example, Vave, which is an MGA part of Canopius, has started offering extreme temperature, extreme freeze cover on all its commercial property policies, and that's in partnership with Demex. So that means that there is a parametric cover in there, but it's actually as part of an overall insurance policy rather than a standalone that you have to buy. So that's one way of doing it. Or it could be selling it through a different product altogether. So it might be selling a flight disruption insurance that pays you if your flight has been delayed or cancelled. It might be selling that when you're buying your flight booking at the same time. And there are even some country level or other levels of parametric policy that have come in. So for example, Skyline Partners has just designed a policy with Howden that is designed to insure Jamaican farmers as individuals. But really what it does is it works through the credit unions. And so it's a parametric insurance product for those credit unions. And that means that when there's a hurricane, the credit unions can afford to let the farmers default on their loans. And so that's a way of offering that parametric benefit to the individuals without having to go out there and spend all that money selling it to lots of different people. So it's a a secondary channel. And obviously you mentioned about effectively embedding parametric in parts of other products or in obviously completely different products, like when you buy a flight and that kind of thing. You're optimistic that parametric insurance will permeate, will slowly begin to permeate more into personal lines and become more important in the future. I think potentially it depends on finding that right distribution channel. And it also depends on the awareness going up among individuals. And it may be that there'll be some large payout event that will make people think again and see lots of people receiving a parametric payout and think maybe this product is for me. We haven't really had that yet, and there haven't really been very many examples of actual payouts that have happened for personal lines parametric insurance. So Super with earthquake insurance is one example. They've made some payouts. But in most cases, the parametric payouts that have happened have been for larger corporate public sector clients. The other thing about Intertech that I've always really liked is that, of course, we talk about technology and insurance, but actually you have a third constituency, which is a lot of the venture capital, the investment money that's coming in to fund some of these startup businesses. And that's always been a third constituency at all your meetings. On that side of things, we know there's been an explosion in investment in parametric businesses and a huge increase in the funding behind that. Your report mentions $250 million in the first half of 2022. And that's up, to give you some reference, that was only 43 million two years previous. That was the whole year of 2020. So it's a big explosion. Do you think there's more money to come in startup capital? Or do you think we've hit peak about now? Well, I mean, certainly it's against a backdrop, of course, of more challenging times generally for raising money. Although to your point, Mark, I mean, we do almost every day have conversations with investors from around the world, both within insurance company, corporate venture capital, but also people outside And what's very interesting to them is around climate and the future of climate and climate measurement. So they see parametric as one part of that. I think in terms of the figures, one big driver was $120 million raised by Descartes, who we mentioned previously. So that reflects the confidence in the investors in that business model and the team there. I think it's all going to be correlated to how effective the distribution is 
and the scale. I mean, if venture capital organizations look for scale, that's where a few organizations in the insure tech space have tripped up because they haven't necessarily scaled as fast as the investors want them to. So I think it's also a little bit of a warning signal for anyone with a business that looking for external funding needs to understand the expectations on growth. And then it's back to that point about how effective is the distribution and how quickly can these be scaled. I mean, the other thing is also human nature, and this comes a little bit back to a question about personal lines. The reality is we generally don't buy insurance unless we're told we need to buy it. And so regulation is one of the biggest drivers of innovation. doesn't sound very exciting, but that's really what drives it. So you can look at something like cyber, for example, that does lend itself quite well to parametric. If that becomes a requirement for people to buy that, or if people start to recognize they're at risk from a cyber hack, then I think they'll start buying it. And then you start to see the investment coming in there. So I think you know, relative to the slowdown generally in the investment market, I would say parametric is going to continue to grow. And certainly, you know, we're still seeing people talking to people who are willing to commit funds. They're just being a little bit more selective about where they're spending that money. So what do you think it's now? Is it just that suddenly the time's right, that everything's come into alignment? Because of course, we've had parametric within ILS, within insurance-linked securities, within cap bonds for about 20 years or a bit longer. Yeah, well, I'd love to say it's because this is our second report and we're spreading the word, <laughs> but of course, there's more to it than that. But your point about cap bonds is absolutely spot on. I mean, that was a great idea. And I was involved in that right in the early stage of it, going back 30 years. It took a long time to get scale because it's that classic technology adoption curve where you've got 17% or in that early adopter stage. You've really got to get to the, to the early majority, late majority of people willing to do new things. And it's, it's true of every single technology adoption with a few exceptions like maybe the iPhone or the iPad, where you saw very rapid adoption. These things take a lot longer than people actually recognize. So I think what we're seeing now is really the convergence of an awareness of the value of new technology, expanding concern about broader types of risk. And I wouldn't underestimate that regulation and rating one as well. That's really driving it. I think if you want to see a real step change, it will be, I never like to sort of be the doomsayer, but some bigger unexpected event that really shifts how people think about risk and how they're buying risk. I mean, that happened with hurricanes and earthquakes 25, 30 years ago. It happened with terrorism 10 years ago. I think if we see something like a parametric trigger linked to pandemic or something, then that will really will accelerate the market. And so you've got that, which is hard to predict versus just the incremental evolution of the market based on all the other factors. Do you think it's technology itself? For example, satellite technology, suddenly you can measure things from space and there are arrays of satellites that are available to us at a reasonable cost, all that kind of stuff. And of course, the internet of things and this explosion of data and the ease of being able to measure things and verify things. Is that partly the tech itself that's actually driving adoption? It's just become easier and cheaper. Yeah, I think that is right. We've seen a lot of the companies that are producing satellite imagery getting involved in parametric insurance. ISI is one example with their flood losses that they've partnered with quite a few of the parametric underwriters so that they can know exactly what the flood depth was at the location where the insured is. And that can mean that you can produce a more accurate parametric cover for a peril that's otherwise quite difficult. And I think we're going to see a lot more development of those technologies. Matthew talked about hail earlier, where they're using remote sensing, wildfire. There are some other complex perils where I think the new technology will actually make this parametric product more viable. It will make it more attractive to customers and it will make it easier to underwrite for insurers as well. Yeah, I mean, Mark, just to add to that, I mean, the successful parametric products need to have an index that is almost zero cost. I mean, there could be some, you know, maybe small percentage points in the cost, but 
if you think about things like earthquake in the US, the USGS releases earthquake magnitude. People are using that for parametric triggers. As soon as you've got to spend money on creating an index, then that is a friction as a traditional cost. So to your point about technology, not only is the data improving, but actually the sources of data are going down in price and becoming more commoditized. So it makes it easier for people to create more innovative indices. And I think that's been a big driver as well in terms of why this is growing is that awareness and availability of, of data. Well, we've had the World Wide Web for sort of 30 years and the killer app is still email, isn't it? I mean, we're all still hooked on our email. There are plenty of other things, but the real killer, what we need the internet for is, is still email. Out of all this parametric, do you think some real winner products, sort of killer applications are going to emerge? Yeah, well, I think where parametrics has worked best or where it does much better than traditional insurance or it can do is in non-damaged business interruption. And Matthew mentioned earlier the sort of data that MasterCard can provide on transaction volumes is, is one way of looking at that. And we've got a member company, OTT Risk, who is looking at all sorts of different things like transaction volume and footfall and different ways to measure that non-damaged business interruption. But there are also other products that could cover non-damaged business interruption losses for single perils. So Aegis London have come up with a product that is for terrorism attacks in Texas. And so if a terrorism attack happens locally to you and you're a hotel, you'll lose out on revenue. But it's very hard to quantify that. So if you have a parametric product that will automatically pay you a predefined amount in that event, that's a good way to protect against that non-damaged business interruption. Another company is Arbol, and they've come up with covers that are for renewable energy. So, for example, solar panels, and they can cover against clouds blocking the sun or the, the amount of solar radiation, because they've got data on that. If there isn't enough solar radiation, the renewable power plant won't be able to produce enough energy, and they'll lose out on revenue as well. So it's those types of losses, which are really hard to quantify physically, that can actually be quite well covered by parametric products if they're structured correctly. So you think among the winners and losers, businesses that are doing something new there, you're identifying something that traditional insurance, traditional indemnity insurance isn't very good at. Is that going to be the way to win in this sort of game? Yeah, that and then figure out your distribution. I mean, it's like every MGA out there. If you haven't figured out your route to market, then who cares how good your technology is because you're never going to sell it. So ultimately, that all ties back to does the client want it? Is there a need? And does the broker understand it? If you can kind of get those three or four things to line up, then you're going to be successful. And that will be where we'll find the killer app. Something I've always noticed as a potential pitfall within parametrics is that once you've defined your parameter, it's absolute. Any reason for that parameter being exceeded is going to pay out. And that means that insurers can fall into the trap of obviously unforeseen or unforeseeable things triggering that parameter. How do you avoid those pitfalls, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I touched on some of those earlier in the cap bond space. One of the earlier problems with hurricane triggers was the wind speed recorders would blow away in a hurricane. And back in my RMS days, Robert Muirwood, who was very creative about designing structures, did a study of what happened in Puerto Rico, and this is going back 30 years ago. And his default trigger, because all the wind speed recorders had blown away, was looking at the damage to Kentucky Fried Chickens. And they worked out that every Kentucky Fried Chicken in Puerto Rico was actually built the same way. So you, you could correlate the wind speed with the damage to a Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant. Now, I wouldn't recommend anyone building a trigger around that. And New Patendine Re actually created an entire set of hardened wind speed recorders while they were working with another organization to do that, which are designed specifically to be able to survive beyond hurricane wind speed. So 
you're absolutely right. I mean, in designing a parametric trigger, you need to think like any good business, what can go wrong and how do I measure for it? And then really in the early stages of developing these solutions that ideally would be some kind of intervention or even some people are looking at like more conventional insurance to sort of have a wraparound where the parametric cover doesn't work or it exceeds the parametric cover. So even if the actual trigger is designed doesn't work exactly, you don't alienate your client because clearly once you start doing that, it's very hard to recover. And Matthew, I do remember also after the great Tohoku earthquake in Japan that some of those seismic monitoring stations also were just ruptured by the quake itself or swamped by the tsunami that followed. Obviously, one of the great advantages of parametric insurance is this cleanliness of the product. There's no need to have lawyers, if you see what I mean. We don't have to argue the toss about how much the damage has cost or what has happened because we have a parameter and it's very clean. But if we end up with a policy that has lots of exclusions around it, it may tend towards people arguing about whether those exclusions have applied. And then suddenly you get into semantics and you get into the possibility of lawyers arguing with each other and litigating. How do you think we'll avoid that with parametric, particularly as it becomes more and more widespread? Is it all about definition, getting the parameter as closely correlated as possible to that risk? It's the two sides of it, isn't it? The more explicitly defined the parameter is and what it pays and what it doesn't pay out, the more you risk not giving the cover or back to that basis risk to your insurance. It's sort of a little bit about what I was saying before, which is there needs to be a recognition that loss is complicated, people's expectations are complicated ultimately to service the client. So in some areas like flight cancellation, and actually that hailstorm example I was talking to with hail damage to cars, there's a very clean link between the physical event and the loss. As soon as you get something where you start to think, yeah, there are exceptions where I don't quite understand this, then I think it's really important that the issuers, the brokers, the technology companies either don't do it and don't rush in because it's a great idea, you know, a former boss of mine has a great comment, a great idea that should never happen, or they figure out some backup to at least get this product launched, have a backup in case something doesn't quite work out, and then over time you can fine-tune it. Like with Henry, you mentioned about a hotel occupancy product, but it's triggered specifically by terrorism. I've been aware of some other hotel occupancy products that are just simply triggered by hotel occupancy indices going down, and so therefore that has effectively turned something into an all-risks cover. Do you think parametric works better when it's a single peril that's easily understood and everyone knows it's terrorism hotel occupancy rather than potentially all risks. Well, you're right. It's a trade-off there between what the customer might want an all-risks policy that protects them against any sort of revenue loss. But from the insurance industry side, yes, it's really important to define what those perils are going to be that can impact it. I think there are some new companies, I mentioned OTT Risk earlier, that are trying to sort of square that circle and really use some advanced analytics to figure out if they can really understand that better and offer better products to clients that might cover more risks, or maybe a product that would involve being triggered by a terrorist attack, but the index would actually be based on the hotel occupancy. So you'd still get a payout that was based on that index, but it would have to be related to that specific peril. So there are workarounds and there are new structures that are coming out that might be able to sort of improve on that position. But there's certainly a tension there. And I think there's more work that the industry will do and the new startups can do to sort of improve that and find some new solutions. That sounds very, very sensible. And obviously, we're still in a class that's still in its infancy and people are learning as they go along. Well, anyway, all I can say, I've read this report. It's a fantastic report. It's incredibly comprehensive because it has almost a directory of everybody that you should be talking to, every, everything you should be looking at if you're interested in engaging more in parametric insurance. So how do people get hold of it? 
the simplest way is to go to our website, www.instec.co. I'm sure we put a link somewhere in our episode notes and we can. And then there's a report section in there and it is in there. It is chargeable. But if any of your listeners would like to contact us, then we'll give them a pretty generous discount for listening all the way through to the end of this against the price of the report. Excellent. All that will be in the notes. And it only just remains for me to thank you, Matthew and Henry. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I can only just commend anybody to get hold of this report however they can. It's really, really worth a read. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure and enjoyed talking to you and look forward to seeing you face to face again at the next event coming up on the 13th of September. Hope you'll be there. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Mark. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>